do you know what it means to be Muslim? Like, do you really know what it means to be Muslim? Because if I'm going to be honest with you, I don't. I, I really don't. Like, I mean, I know what, like, Islam teaches us. But that's not what I'm asking here. What I'm asking is, do you know what it means to say, I'm a Muslim? And, and if you do, please, tell me. Because I kind of don't. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Muslims in Your Backyard podcast. I'm your host, Khurram Shamim. Thank you for joining me in this first episode, or at least the first official episode of the Muslims in Your Backyard podcast. I'm very excited to have you here and I'm very excited to get this podcast going after a lot of, I think I talked about this in the last episode, but a lot of just background work in terms of editing and getting the right podcast host and getting the right software Uh, It definitely took a lot longer than I intended it to, but I'm glad to finally get this podcast running and to get this podcast going. And without further ado, I think we should just get right into today's episode, which is about our Muslim identity and being proud of being Muslim. And yeah, I know this is a very broad and maybe larger topic than you might expect for a first episode, but I really did want to cover this in two parts. The first is because of recent events that have occurred throughout the world in relation to Muslims and Islam. And specifically, I'm referring to what's happened in Palestine and sort of the response that we saw from a variety of different actors from around the world towards the Palestinian struggle against the oppression of the Israeli regime, but then also what happened and we've seen in areas like France, where Muslims are being essentially segregated by the state. And I know some people might disagree with me on what I've said here, but in my opinion, what we see in France is a state that's essentially saying that Muslims are a quote-unquote threat, while in Palestine, what we're seeing is a, a, and yes, Palestine is also, there's Palestinian Christians, not to say that there aren't Palestinian Christians, but Palestine has definitely become a place where the Muslim identity is sort of being challenged as well. And the ideas of what goes behind being Muslim are really at play there as well. And I will explain all of this, of course, but I think that the first thing and sort of the core question that I asked myself when not only making this episode, but also just looking at what was going on around the world in attacking, you know, what it means to be Muslim was what really begins or is at the core of a Muslim's identity? What really is the core? What is it that we look at, you know, the central pillar that we attach And a lot of people will look at it differently, and that's totally fine. I'm not going to sit here and police and tell you what you should or should not identify with. I'll share what I identify with, but I want you, whoever you are that's listening to this podcast, I want you to think about it. What is it that exactly is the core of your identity? What is it that you latch on to the most that makes you so strong in being a Muslim, or what is it that you feel you relate the most with when it comes to being a Muslim. And I want us to really think about this and take a second to think about this because 
when we see these sort of attacks across the world in terms of attacking Muslims and saying that, oh, they're, you know, they're barbaric. We, we've seen this sort of maybe not outwardly saying that we're barbaric, but people that will subtly imply that there's aspects of Islam that are barbaric or that there be people who will question, you know, why do you even need to pray five times a day? Why do you need to fast for 30 days? And even some Muslims themselves who will cut corners where they'll say, oh, you know, that's not that important. Or, you know, there'll be people who will, you know, say that, oh, you don't have to, you know, do all the five prayers where, you know, yes, you do, you do. And you should try, obviously. Now, if you can't, or if there's reasons holding you back, that that's fine, I guess. But Really, our intention should be to do all five prayers. And I don't think, at least I hope, that's not that controversial of a statement. Uh, But in my opinion, you should try your best. But what we've seen is that a lot of the identity or the thing that goes behind our core of being a Muslim is being attacked or sort of kind of being poked at by a lot of different actors. And for me, when I went through this question and I sat down and I really thought to myself, What is it about this religion that I identify with so much? To me, I go back to the hadith of the Prophet Muhammad where he is basically point blank asked, what is the core of Islam? And he responds with it. And of course, I'm paraphrasing here. I'm not going to quote the whole hadith because I myself am not a scholar. So I don't want to be uh, quoting hadiths that maybe I don't know uh, the full stories behind, but we all do know the answer where he asks, or sorry, he says, you know, the five pillars and the five pillars of Islam being prayer, Ramadan, Zakat, Hajj, and Shahad. For me, this is really the core, the center of what it means to be Muslim. And I'm sure other people maybe had different answers or people had different ideas and that's fine as well. But for me, this is where I myself look at and say that at its basic core is what Islam is. And I think that it's also because of the fact that the Prophet Muhammad himself is the one who says this. So in my opinion, that's that's a lot of authority to be saying what the core or the pillars of Islam or the Muslim identity, sorry, is. And for me, even when we go through these five, right, prayer, Prayer to me summarizes something about Islam that's very important and that's humility, right? We bow down before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because we say He is all-powerful. We worship Him and Him alone. He is the one that we turn to. Where Ramzan, Ramzan is basically 30 days of the most ultimate mental, physical, and spiritual exercise. We put ourselves through things that are usually halal, but we make them haram for ourselves for 30 days, and what we really show ourselves is that we can fight through things that are halal, and you can definitely fight against things that are haram for you, if you can prevent yourself from doing things that are halal. And then, of course, zakat being our ultimate charity in which we give up, we willingly give up our charity for the poor and for those that are in need. And hajj and shahada, hajj being our ultimate journey, uh, where we essentially put everything away material-wise that we have, wear a basic piece of cloth and go on a religious pilgrimage to another part of the world that many of us probably don't even visit that much. But we go back to the root of Islam by going on Hajj. And Shahada, of course, that, I think this is pretty self-explanatory. The Shahada is the Shahada. It's our basic testament to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
and saying the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, is in fact the last and final messenger. And I think really, when I look at my identity, I feel that that really does summarize it. And for me, it really is a guidance to say that this is something that I fall back on. When people say, you know, why do you fast for 30 days? You know, I, I give them the fact that the fasting isn't just something like, oh, you know, God's making you fast. God's teaching you. You know, he's, he's showing you. And I, I've heard a lot of scholars explain it this way. And, and I really attached onto this explanation as well, where Ramzan is basically a teaching moment. Isn't that kind of interesting, right? And through all these 30 days, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala teaches us even. You know, you're, you're, you're strong enough to fight through things that, you know, you feel that you can't. You can. You can do it. And you can fight through it. You can fast for 30 days. That thing that is, you know, haram for you that you can't get away from. Yeah, you, you can fight it. You can definitely do it. And, and I think that's a, a beautiful message. And I really do latch on to that. And, and I think that really as, uh, you know, as sort of the younger Muslims or even just Muslims in the 21st century, Right? We need to be ready for answering what it means to be Muslim. Because those people who are you know, kind of poking at Islam or you know, maybe questioning Islam, and, and not all of them are doing it in malicious uh, intents, which I, I will admit, not everyone who questions Islam is doing it for malicious reasons. But regardless, we're under the microscope. Right? People often will look at Islam and maybe ask us questions, and we need to be ready to answer them. And that's for me, why I think that we need to ask ourselves what begins or is at the core of our Muslim identity so that when people do in fact ask us those questions, we are able to answer. And as younger Muslims, it's really on us, in my opinion, to be able to answer these questions because ultimately we are the future generation and we're the generation that's going into a world full of tech. It'll be one full of new opportunities that have never been seen on the face of this earth. And it's going to be up to us that we ensure that during all of that, right, the identity and the, the core of being Muslim isn't lost and that we're able to hold on to it and we're able to stay true to this beautiful religion, this beautiful faith that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rewarded us with. Of all the people in the world that could have been Muslim, he chose you. So that should mean something, in, in my opinion. And, and I always think that that should mean something for a lot of us. We were chosen. And now I'm not trying to say we're the chosen people. I just want to make that clear. I am not saying that. I'm just saying that there's something that we were given and we should do good with it. You know, we should really look at Islam and, and say that the beauty of this religion and why we identify with it in the first place. And I think that this is where I kind of put into the second part of my conversation, where when we're reflecting on why we're Muslim, why do we relate with this faith? Why do we practice it? And then we kind of bring it to the real world and we see the intersection where you see Islam and culture both sort of kind of in, in some ways in contrast with each other, or at least that is what is maybe the status quo idea, is that Islam and culture are in conflict with each other. There's, you know, this, uh, you know, war of different cultures where you have the Muslim and then, you know, the modern culture. And, and where does Islam fit into this? 
Now, I'm not going to answer this entirely, and, and I don't intend to. In fact, I intend to revisit this later on because I hope to get other perspectives. But we can definitely see that in recent events, and especially in maybe the past few months, we've definitely seen a constant sort of, uh, I guess, attack, or, or I should say, a sort of a, a battle between these two, where oftentimes Western nations and many Western leaders, and of course, one that comes to mind is Emmanuel Macron, uh, Manuel, the, the genius that he is, tweeted out, secularism doesn't, hasn't killed anyone. I mean, that was just a dumb tweet. It was a stupid, stupid tweet. Because not only is it ignorant, but I want anyone, if you have any Algerian friends, go ask them how Francis, Francis secularism treated the Algerians during their war of independence. Ask them how many human rights Algerians or the Vietnamese or even most of North Africa or even, heck, most of Africa, what am I saying, most of Africa, ask them how Francis secularism treated them when it came to human rights and equality. Not exactly the best, right? But, but we're seeing it. We're seeing this Islam and culture, you know, fighting each other. And I think that as Muslims, when we create this identity, it's going to, of course, be because people are going to say, well, why are you more Muslim than you are X, Y, and Z culture? I think first off, you know, one thing to look at is that Islam, even though it does have some cultural foundations and that Islam definitely has things that can conflict with different cultures, but when you look at where Muslims themselves live, I think it's quite remarkable to look at the fact at how diverse so much of Islam and Muslims really are. I mean, we have, yes, Arab, Persian, North African Muslims, but you have African Muslims across, you know, East and West, not just, not just East, but East and West. You have European Muslims, you have Albanians, you have Bosnians, right? We have Turkish Muslims, not just Turkey, the country, but actually Turkish, like Central Asian Muslims. We have East Asian Muslims, so much variety. And all these people exist as Muslims in a variety of different cultures. African culture, Asian culture, those are two conflicting cultures, but Islam exists in both of them. So I think what we should really ask ourselves is that if Islam was such a conflicting part about culture, if Islam conflicts so much with culture, how is it and why is it that Islam was able to spread to so many different cultures and be accepted in so many of these different areas? If Islam was so bad for culture, Shouldn't it have just, you know, been taken out by these cultures? Shouldn't they have just rejected Islam? In my opinion, when I, when I look at that and, and I reflect on that, it says to me that there must be something about Islam, about being Muslim, that all these people from a variety of different backgrounds, a variety of different areas, thought and connected with. They connected with it on a spiritual level. They saw what Islam was saying and they, they reflected and they accepted it. And for us, I think we should really look at that and, and you know, think about, A, you know, what is it that they identified with and that how do we identify with? Again, going back to the Muslim identity. But then B, to just not accept this idea that Islam is against all cultures. Islam isn't. Islam has been accepted 
by a variety of different cultures. And the idea that Islam is this anti-culture thing that will destroy all the cultures in the world is really just a modern, I don't want to say invention, but modern sort of idea. You know, I reflect on this uh, this email blurb, or, or I should say this email article I got from Yakin Institute. Uh, Yakin Institute, for those of you who don't know, is a free Islamic source for a lot of scholarly articles and just information. Uh, if you if you don't know, you should go check them out. They're run by Omar Suleiman and a variety of different scholars as well. I, I don't know if he's the one who actually founded it, but he definitely is a, a huge component of it. And for those of you who don't know where to find them, just kind of Google them. They have a website or just find them on YouTube. But I got this email blurb from them that contained like a bunch of articles and whatnot that I'm not going to get into, but I kind of got the, the main gist of what they were saying. And their main point and their main sort of focus of the email blurb was on culture and Islam, that Islam and culture mix and they don't need to counter each other. And what Islam does is that it beautifies our culture. And I thought that was such a great point. It's such a subtle, small, but great point. And the three points that I can think of where Islam beautifies our culture is in social justice. Islam teaches us, essentially, that, or not essentially, that yes, all people are equal. Right? Islam, it was Islam that told the Arabs, burying your firstborn daughters is unacceptable. Right? In the Quran... And I, I apologize again, I'm not a scholar, so I can't quote this entirely. But in the Quran, there's verses where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala calls out the pagans, the pagan Arabs, where he says that the pagan Arabs, uh, and I, I'm paraphrasing here, they thought that the angels were God's daughters, but at the same time, they would bury their own firstborn daughters. Right? Like they thought that the angels were God's daughters. So they valued daughters, at least for God, but then whenever they got daughters, they wouldn't value them, right? So you can kind of see where they're being called out. It's like, how do you value a woman, but then you don't value a woman? That doesn't make any sense. So social justice is one of those things where Islam stood up and said that people are equal. Economic equality. I mean, zakat. Zakat, economic equality. That's that's a huge component. There's the famous hadith where you should give as much that your right hand doesn't know what your left hand, your left hand doesn't know what your right hand uh, is giving. Right? We should just give for the sake of charity, for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And, and on top of this, I, I actually thought I should get some real figures and kind of talk about this. But I, I was going through some of the richest men and women or, or whatever, richest people in the world. And I, I came upon Jeff Bezos, the, the founder of Amazon. I think I pronounced his name right, about what his net worth was. Right? And so we know what zakat is. Zakat isn't just like the, your total wealth. It's basically your net worth as well, your assets. And Jeff Bezos' net worth is, the last time I, I checked at least, was $193.4 billion. First off, why do you even need that much money? Like, What, what are you going to do with $193.4 billion? Seriously, what, what are you going to do? At, at what point is you just have more than enough money you just don't need any more money. But you know what? He has $193.4 billion in net worth. And then number two, think about if Jeff Bezos was a Muslim. If he was a Muslim, he'd have to pay zakat. And if he had to pay 
2.5% of $193.4 billion. Just imagine how many of the world's problems we could probably solve. Just think about it. Just think about how many problems like environmentalism, poverty, hunger, you know, uh, lack of educational resources, lack of water, sanitation. Think of how many things could easily be solved if, if, if people were to just give zakat, right? And, and, and I mean, I don't know. I, I'm not, I'm not going to say, you know, it's that simple per se, but in my opinion, it, it's something to really reflect on. Just number one, how little 2.5% really is, right? Like 2.5% of $193.4 billion is probably like pocket cash for him. Okay, maybe not pocket cash, but you know what I'm saying, right? Like, he, it's not like he's going to cry over, oh, I lost 2.5% of my wealth. Well, I still got $100 billion. Come on, right? To me, like, it'd be incredible. And it'd be so easy to, if every rich person were to give up 2.5% of their wealth, imagine how many things we could solve. Islam teaches us to do that. And that's a beautiful thing within our religion, right? And it's a beautiful thing that Islam brings to culture is that you should be charitable to those around you. And last is community engagement. I mean, community is a huge component of Islam, right? The masjid plays a huge role. Even the azan, the azan calls all people to come together to pray. It doesn't say, oh, you and you, but not you. It says, all of you, come, right? It's essentially the call to prayer for all of us. And, and that's where we really see, you know, the beautifying of our culture, Islam gives these values that, in my opinion, are not entirely against, you know, many cultures from around the world. You know, there are disagreements within cultures. There's things that we're not going to always see eye to eye with, and that's fine, right? Even within our own cultures, sorry, I'm a Pakistani. There's things in Pakistani culture that I'm like, no, that, that's not something that Islam allows. People will still do it. For example, marriage. Marriage is always the thing that happens in Pakistani culture. It's it's, it's kind of ridiculous how big marriage plays a role in Pakistani culture, but it, it plays a big role. And, and there's a lot of things that a lot of families will do when it comes to marriage that is just haram. Like, for example, choosing who your, who your son or daughter can marry. Yes, parents should play uh, a big role, and the guardian as well should play a big role in maybe helping make the decision. But if a woman or a son don't want to marry someone, you can't force them to get married. You can't. And yet, every year you'll hear it, some families do it. And that family will say, oh, I'm a Muslim, I read the Quran, I do five prayers. But you don't follow what the teachings of the Quran are. You don't. So what's the point of doing all the reading and all the prayer if when it matters the most, you ignore what is being taught? Right? So even within our own cultures, and by own cultures, I mean non-Western cultures. I'm assuming, of course, that people are non-Western, but you can still be Western and be Muslim. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but again, right, in some of these more traditional Muslim countries have things in our culture that can be wrong, but Islam beautifies it. Islam makes it better. Islam doesn't counter it. Islam doesn't make it worse. Islam is a benefit to the world, and it was brought to us by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so that we could be better and we could make the world better. 
And to conclude this thought and to conclude this episode, I think it's important to sit back and think not just about our Muslim identity and what we identify with, but then our own cultures as well. And we should ask ourselves, with all of this in mind, how are we going to beautify the world? Now, with that being said, I'd like to thank you guys all for listening. I really do appreciate you taking some time out of your day to listen to me talk about Islam and culture. Uh, Inshallah, we can do this again. Uh, My next episode will be on Islam and scrutiny, where I'll focus mainly on how Islam is being scrutinized in the modern world. So please do check out that episode. Uh, But what I'd also like if you guys could do, if you really enjoyed this episode, uh, please leave a review. Uh, Let me know what you thought or give my show a rating on whatever podcast host you're listening to this on. I'd really appreciate the support. And finally, if you could also follow me on Instagram, it's Muslims in Your Backyard. It'll be the same logo that you see uh, on the podcast host. Please do follow me there. I'll be posting any sort of news or updates and any changes if they do occur on my Instagram account, and it'll probably be my main source of information and contact. But either than that, again, thank you guys so much for listening. Always appreciate it. And inshallah and alafis, we'll meet again.